This Rewind episode is powered by Million Dollar Events, my special masterclass. Listen to me. Do not plan a live, hybrid, or virtual event until you join me to learn exactly how to ensure that your event will yield you six to seven figures. Go now to move to millionsmasterclass.com to secure your seat. This Rewind episode is in honor of the end of 2022 in preparation of 2023. Now, since we've done the rebrand and been focused on helping our clients move to millions, we are $32 million CEOs deep. I wanted to give you an opportunity to listen again to this conversation that I had with Lisa Peterson, the author of Mindful Millionaire. Listen. Your millions will start in your mind and be there before they ever land in your bank account. And what you do now as we end 2022 and prepare to usher in 2023 can set your life and your business on a trajectory to make and move millions, which will ultimately position you to be able to leave millions. I want you to grab pen and paper and listen in again to this extremely popular episode on this season of the Move to Millions podcast. Enjoy. You've got a problem. You identify the problem in your business. And what your response is, is one of many things. One could be, how cheap can I solve this problem for? That would be a scarcity. Like, how can I spend the least amount of money? It's all about the money in that decision. It's not about the glory of what's going to happen when you actually fix this problem, but it's all about the dollars and cents that you're going to have to spend to mm. fix it. You're listening to the Move to Millions podcast with Dr. Darnielle J. Harmon. If you're ready for high-level conversations that position and prepare you to move your company, cash flow and connection to and beyond the million dollar mark, let's get this party started. episode is powered by the Move to Millions Quick Start Guide. Wondering what it's going to take for you to make the move to millions? Learn more today by going to the Move to Millions Quick Start Guide.com. In today's episode, I chat with Lisa Peterson. Oh, my goodness, y'all. This conversation was thebomb.com. There were so many amazing things that Lisa shared. One of my favorites was her asking herself the question of how do I make this better? And you'll understand exactly what I mean when we get into our conversation. Let me just quickly tell you a little bit about Lisa. Lisa Peterson is the mindful millionaire maker. As a coach, author, business growth strategist, and founder of Wealth Clinic, she helps people accelerate their financial consciousness by realizing their true value and becoming financially empowered. Listen, y'all. You need a pen, you need paper, you need some tissues, like you need all the things to be in your presence as you listen to my conversation with Lisa. There were so many parts of this conversation that I loved. I'm just going to share a couple of highlights because there were so many amazing things. She said that by the time she was 12, she had more money in her bank account than her parents. She also said, and I really want you to take this away and learn from this, as long as you approach money from lack or scarcity, it will run away really quickly. OMG, you are in for such a treat. If you are ready to finally 
figure out what are the blocks that you are experiencing mentally in that six inches between your ears that is keeping you from feeling seven figures in between your fingers, get that pen, get that paper, and let's jump into my conversation with Lisa Peterson, the author of The Mindful Millionaire. Lisa, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to welcome you to the Move to Millions podcast. How are you today? I am very well, and I'm so happy to be here. You guys can't see Lisa, but she is smiling ear to ear. I literally just met her like, it feels like 10 days ago, but already I know that this woman is my sister from another mister. We're going to talk all about her book, Mindful Millionaire. Okay, so do yourself a favor right now and pull up Amazon unless you're driving. If you're driving, don't do this right now. But as soon as you stop, go to Amazon and grab this book. It's going to change your whole life. And you guys know I do mindsets and talk about this stuff all the time. And I was in my car having a pull over to write down something powerful that Lisa said. So I am just so excited that you were here. Would you just take a moment and tell everybody who you are in your own words? So like you said, I love mindset work because I've been on a journey for about 22 years to understand what that really means. And you know, a little bit about me. I grew up, I was born in Oakland, California. My parents were 18, 19 years old. They didn't know anything about money. They didn't know how to barely raise kids. And I learned through the difficulties of life, how to take care of money. And I think I became better at money when I was maybe eight, nine years old, better than my parents. By by 12, I had more money in my bank account than they did. And, and that was kind of interesting, right? That's not the way we expect it to be. But what I can say is that my journey has been one of overcoming difficulty and looking at life like, how do I make this better? How can I take what I've got and transform it into something that works for me? Because life didn't really feel like it worked for me early in, in life. And I feel like now at 55 years of age, I finally figured it out. And the book, The Mindful Millionaire, was really my journey of what I learned about myself and about money and about how we can make money more important than anything else. And that's what I did in the early parts of my life. And it wasn't until, sadly, my dad was brutally murdered in 1999. And that caused me to have that wake up moment of, of girl, you actually don't even know what it's like to be happy. You don't even know what it's like to create a, you know, have a life that you enjoy. It's always been fear and scarcity and worry and, you know, just concern about all these problems. And I was like, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to use this testimony to, you know, to what happened to my dad to change my life. And, and that began a 22 year journey that continues to this day. Wow. 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 Okay. I already know how you guys must be feeling because I know how I'm feeling. Like I have written down three things. No, I'm lying. Five things that you said that I'm like, oh, we got to pull on this because it was so good. <laughs> so I love the learning about money through the difficulties in your life. And I just want to celebrate you because I know that this has been perpetual, right? You didn't wake up this way. I say all the time, no one goes to bed a blunder and wakes up a wonder. And I know that your journey, your story, the way you see money now is no different. But what I think I love about this recognizing that at such a young age, there was an opportunity for you to find lessons. And Lisa, I don't even know if you know this about me, 
But our stories are not exactly the same, but there's so many similarities because I was a young child. I imagine asking myself the same questions and creating different realities, just like you were because of my parents and where I came from. And my therapist, I've been in therapy for, <laughs> I feel like I've been in therapy for as long as I've been alive. But when I first started working with the therapist many years ago, she said, I have seven brothers and sisters. I'm number three. And she said, there's always one child who is really resilient. So do you have brothers and sisters? I do. A younger brother. And he he might beat me on resilience, but mostly because he's got that kind of life where the cloud follows him, like okay. the dark cloud. Mm-hmm. And he's, in order to be alive today, he has had to be even more resilient than me. He might be like one of those people, but I am resilient in that I think unlike my brother, I tried really hard to find the silver lining, whereas he would look at it sadly from a place of victim or I'm going to go hunt that person down and beat the crap out of them. (laughs) Like that's the difference. Yeah. And I'm glad that that's the parallel because that's exactly what I was, was, I was trying to get through. Like same thing with us. Like, Oh, there's a a lot of us. My mom and dad share three children. So I have one full brother and one full sister. And then my mom had several other children. And what I find amongst my brothers and sisters is the same thing. Like bad things are always happening to them because that's what they expect to happen. But Children like us who grow up in that chaotic environment that get a glimpse of there being something else, we hold fast to what else there could be. And that is enough to keep us out of the same hell, for lack of a better word to use, that we watch our siblings go through, which I think is is, um, incredibly interesting. So I love that you said the question you, you kept asking yourself was, how do I make this better? And what I love about that, I literally wrote right next to that. I love this. And what I love about it is that even today, as life is happening to us, as business is happening to us, you know, the launch failed or it wasn't as good as you thought it was going to be. And the client you just knew who was going to enroll doesn't enroll. The team member that you were grooming to get into leadership suddenly ups and quits, right? Being able to consistently ask yourself, how do I make this better is such a way to stay out of that victim mentality. Like, I can tell that that comes from just experience after experience after experience. But how did, like, if you can't even recall, like, how did you know that your approach to everything was going to be, how can I make this better? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And I don't know if I have the answer, but I will say what's coming to me is that, I didn't know this early in life. I didn't realize it until more recently where I had this one of those like breakdown moments where you're just sobbing and and then the light bulb went on. And I think that back way back inside of me, there was like a feeling of, I'm never going to give up on you. I am mm-hmm. always going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that feeling of like, even though I couldn't depend on anyone else in my life, I could actually depend on my own tenacity Mm -hmm. and my own, like you said, resilience and my own hope for goodness Mm -hmm. in life. Like I, I just was like, I'm going to find it. And, 
And that would keep me going in those really dark moments. Yeah, I totally get that. And it's what I love about moments like that is that it does, it carries us through, but it can also (laughs) be not a good thing because we come to rely on ourselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that doesn't open us up to be able to share life with other people and to truly be, you know, the level of transformation that we want to bring into our life experience and into the lives of others. So I definitely, I feel you on that. And then the other thing, I just want to say like, yes, you are pointing out like what I now see as sort of the scarcity way of going through life versus the abundant way. The scarcity would be like, I'm all on my own. I've got to figure this out. And that was a great part of my life. And it wasn't until more recently and even in writing the book and feeling like I could help people in this way forced me to get out of that scarcity and into this abundance of thinking, I am not alone. I have faith in, Mm -hmm. you know, a higher power. I have faith in other people. I don't want to be an island. I don't want to be separated from all of that anymore. Yeah. And I think that that's such a good realization. Like for me, and, you know, we had this conversation, you know, my faith is, is everything. And, you know, it's, it's so much not for me anyway, it's not. And we had this conversation too, right? It's not religion. It's really about, for me, the fullness of God. And, and, and I'm going to, you know, and some people are going to be mad when I say this, but I'm going to put a little asterisk besides God, right? Because if you say universe or you say spirit or you say source, guess what? God is the creator of the universe. He is the Holy spirit and he is the source of all that is good. Other people are going to be upset by me saying that, but just recognizing the the relationship and who we are and allowing that to guide us, right? The, the God that is in every single one of us, allowing us to rightly divide the good and the bad, the lack from the abundance and carrying on forward as a result of that, I think is such an important part of the journey. And what I recall is in reading through your book or listening to your book, many of the the nuggets that I've gotten so far have been from your inner knowing and intuition and just turning inward instead of looking outward, which I think is such an important part of wealth and abundance and ultimately legacy, right? I literally just said earlier today, the people who think, that their ability to make millions is tied to strategy, have it all wrong. Because what it really is about is all of the stuff that has nothing to do with the tangible work, right? And like, that's the lesson that I'm getting from your book. Like the mindful millionaire is doing the mindset work to alleviate all of the things that are in the way, threatening to derail what's possible, Yeah, that's really what I wanted to create. And even, you know, in the book, and I'm not sure if you've read this part where I talk about Corinthians or this experience that happened for me where I was, I had been practicing Buddhism after my dad died and for, for many years and I was teaching it and, and I kind of went to Buddhism because I'll be honest, like I felt so cut out from God when I was young that I didn't want to believe that the world that I was living could like, I just didn't want to even think about God because I'm like, this is a mess. And after my dad died, I practiced Buddhism and meditation for many years. I was awoken in the middle of the night with this message. It was, it was like somebody shouted at me, like Corinthians. And I'm like, 
it scared me. And I wasn't even sure, like at that point I had not studied the Bible and I wasn't (laughs) even sure like where it was coming from, or there was a suspicion. And it's so interesting because you say that inner knowing, and I feel like what I learned from all of these journeys over the years, especially since that moment is that we have so much within us just waiting for us to get quiet enough Mm -hmm to hear those messages. And yet we live these crazy busy lives where if we don't make really concerted effort to carve out the time for silence, for quiet contemplation, for prayer, for nothing, but just openness, like we might not hear those things. I got lucky that it shouted at me, but normally it doesn't work that way for most people. Right. Well, and by the time you get the shout, it's like, oh, it feels like it's the last t- attempt, right? It's like, <laughs> if I didn't get you now, who knows what might have happened? But I, I love, what I think I love about all of that is the realization that it is in the still s- small moments, the moments where nothing is happening, that we can actually hear the voice of God, right? And that voice is within us, every single one of us. I think about the scripture in Genesis at the beginning of the Bible, one in 26, let us make man in our image and likeness, right? And in that scripture, basically what God is saying is that you, you person on the earth, you are just like me. I'm creating you in my image and likeness. That means you can do what I do. And that power that comes along with that, which we don't get if we don't spend the the moments in quiet contemplation, We don't always have to be hustling and bustling or even praying, right? For me, sometimes praying is just sitting in silence to see if there's anything God wants to say to me to Mm -hmm. help me to better navigate and be a better vessel for him so that other people might get to experience his fullness, right? And I, I feel like that moment, and I did read that in the book with Corinthians, it was like, or at least this is the way that I perceived it as a person hearing what had happened to you was like a, a moment to come home. Like, even though you had been absent and, and departed from God, he never left you. And he loved you so much that at the appropriate moment when he knew that all the other things wouldn't be interfering, he got your attention again. hmm 100%. Yeah. 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 And it, right and, <laughs> and it totally rocked my world. Like, it, and I talk about it, like, I'm like, what's happening? Am I going crazy? Like, I had to go to a friend who was like a Bible scholar. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what's going on first before I can even go research what this means. Cause yeah. there was a whole message. I needed to like, just say, is this normal? You know, <laughs> Pretty funny. You know, I think that one of the things about my life when we come from my experiences when there's been a lot of trauma and difficulty, we lose the magic and the mystical in life. Mm -hmm. And so when the magical and mystical happens, we still have, it takes us a little bit of time to like realize that there is something else going on here. And, and I feel like that's one of the greatest gifts that I have ever received in my life, that there's actually more, so, so much more going on than what meets the eye. Absolutely. And I think what I love about that is that there is no, it's black or it's white. Like, I feel like for me, there's a lot of gray 
there's a lot of opportunity for what I thought was my reality to be challenged and me to be okay with it. Like, I don't have to know all the things and be like, I'm open. Like I'm completely open to however, whatever, whenever. And for me, that's like, it's surrender, right? It's being detached from any and all outcomes. Like no matter what it is that I might be trying to accomplish in my life, being open that the path that gets me there could happen in any one of a thousand ways. And every single one of them is perfectly okay if that's the way that's chosen to bring it into my life. And it takes so much freedom, I think, to get to that point. Like, you know, we don't wake up like this. I know Beyonce wants to lead us to believe that we do, but we do, right? A lot of care goes into becoming the people who write books like The Mindful Millionaire and really opening up this path of self-discovery and the importance of that path for people who desire to have access to millions. So you talked briefly about the fact that at by the age of 12, you had more money in your bank account than your parents had and how, and I know in the book, I don't want to steal the thunder. I want you to actually talk about it. You, even with that, the struggles you experienced around money and where your freedom actually came from today, you know, you and your husband to be leveraging the power of real estate and, and doing the things that you're doing to have access to so much. And even through your practice previously as a financial advisor and today as, you know, as a money breakthrough coach and really helping people to hone in on what it takes to experience that financial wealth that accompanies the mindful or spiritual wealth. So can you just talk a little bit about your journey with money? And I know you said it's been going on over the last 20 years, but where did it start to go bad or down, whatever the right word is? And then where did it start to crescendo up to now get you to the point where you can make the impact that you're making for millions while you also make millions? Yeah. So in the mid nineties, I did make the decision I'd like to be a millionaire. You know, other people are, why not me? And I made that decision. And within 10 years, my husband and I were millionaires. However, within a year or so of that, a couple of years later, we got a phone call from our financial advisor saying all of the money, about $350,000 that we were using to build the new house was gone and had kind of disappeared overnight. And What I realized through that journey, we ultimately, the bank got sued. We got the money back because of the way that the investments had been sold to us as good, same as cash. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case. This was all during the whole 2007, 2008, you know, eruption in the financial markets. But what I learned about that, which was really pivotal to my work today, which is as long as you're approaching your money from a place of scarcity and fear and worry, it can go away very, very quickly. Like like attracts like, scarcity attracts more scarcity or lack or limitation. And I learned from that experience that while we had the right mechanics of building wealth, what I also realized is we were still operating from a really bad scarcity mindset that would take me years to understand how to reconfigure the way that not only we made money, but how we kept it. And then ultimately too, how we invest it. And I think that we ended up doing really, really well over the past several years. But what I also have noticed is as we've turned our attention away from the creating out of fear. And we've moved into how can we create out of love? How can we be thinking about 
you know, what are we doing to make this money? What kind of impact is this making on the planet or the environment? Like all of those things are things that have come into my sphere of reference that weren't before. Like, how can I make a difference in people's lives and the work that I do now? Like everything that we do with money comes from the heart now and then radiates out. And what's fascinating is we've like tripled our net worth in a very short amount of time, even though I can proudly, which is kind of weird, say that if you saw my taxes, you'd be like, girl, like you're not making very much money. Yet we're making tons of money. And I crack up. This is the mystical part of it. Like we're just focused on our hearts. We are not focused on, you know, I know you, you help people build amazing businesses. Like I like helping people, but most people come to me because they're just like, I just want a happier life. Like I'm tired of being so stressed out. Like if I could just get that. And that's kind of what I realized is no matter how much money I had, I was still a stressed mess. And until I got this other stuff figured out, I could have all the money in the world and still be a wreck. And that was the big transformation I had to go through. I love all of that. Uh, There's a couple of things that you wrote down that I want to pull on a little bit. I'm going to start here. You said, as long as you approach money from a lack or scarcity mindset, it will go away really quickly. And your decision to decide to start creating out of love and impact instead of creating from a space of fear and what if it goes away was what made the difference. I saw the same thing happen. Like, you know, 2010, I filed bankruptcy. By 2014, I was a millionaire, like outright well And since then, I've just watched the numbers rise and what it is that we do. And the big thing that changed in those few short three years, I always say it's one one for the father, one for the son, and one for the Holy Spirit. And those three years, the reason it changed is because I stopped chasing the money. I stopped. Mm -hmm. I stopped. You said earlier, you said, we make money more important. I stopped making the focal point of what I did money. Now, years later, it was only probably 20, 2019, I believe, was the first time I decided that instead of setting a revenue goal inside of my business, I was going to set a tithing goal. Like how much money could I give away, right? Because I have always, since I was like 10 years old, I've said I'm a philanthropist. You know, every time I would walk past someone on the street, I don't care if it was five cents. I would put it in there. Like I've always wanted to be a person who was in position to give to other people. And one of the affirmations that I speak over myself every single day in gratitude is I'm grateful that I have more money than I can give, spend, invest, or save. I have so much money. I don't even know what to do with. And that's the space that I do everything in. And it has made a difference for me. So when you talked about that scarcity mindset and what it looks like, what I think would be helpful is if we could maybe call out some of the symptoms of scarcity mindset so that those people who are listening to this episode right now that want to be like you were, who in the mid 90s said, I want to be a millionaire. They want to make that decision. They will know what it looks like to not be operating from a space of love and impact and instead a space of lacking clarity or or scarcity. I think that'll be fun, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. if we think about scarcity mindset, when you hear me say that now being a woman who no longer lives her life that way, can you remember back to what it looked like and how you would act and respond in situations as it pertained to money? Yeah. You know, we talk about running our businesses and one example, just really tangible that we probably all have been there before is 
you've got a problem, you identify the problem in your business and what your response is, is one of many things. One could be how cheap can I solve this problem for? That would be a scarcity. Like, how can I spend the least amount of money? It's all about the money in that decision. It's not about the glory of what's going to happen when you actually fix this problem, but it's all about the dollars and cents that you're going to have to spend to fix it and keeping it as low as possible. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I would add to that because I think that that's such a great symptom I would add to that when you don't do things because of the money, right? Like it's obvious that if there's a problem and we can keep it about business, right? There's a problem in your business that you have been unsuccessful at solving on your own. You start to seek out a solution, but the investment is higher than you can fathom or you think it should be or whatever whatever the reason is. And you don't solve the problem because of money. That's also scary. Yes, yes. You just kind of freeze and you're like, okay, I'm just going to forget about that. Or because on that, what, what I think you and I have figured out right in the course of our journey is that money is just a tool. It's just a tool that's here to help you live in harmony with your life and with your loved ones. Right. And, and the, and the environment and the animals and all these beautiful things. So if you're like, it's just a tool. I need the money to to do this thing that I'm really excited about. It's just a matter of finding the money right. to like bring that on. Like that's all there is. And if we just make it about like, okay, I need this amount of money. This is what's going to do. This is what's going to be. Where's it coming from? That moves into abundance mindset. And the the reason it's so powerful is there's a lot of science around scarcity. This isn't just a made up self-help term term. Like this was studied at the university level. And they found Mm -hmm. that when we're in scarcity, when we're like, how can I do this as cheap as possible? We lose like 13, 14 points in IQ. Mm -hmm. We actually become stupid. And we look at the lens through this little teeny like lens, right? And we don't see all the possibilities. So what we're trying to do is by saying, okay, it's just a money problem. Where am I going to find the money? It's everywhere. I just need to put the the possibilities out there. Now we're in the, we're out of the scarcity. We're into the abundance and we're like, oh, I could just do this or I could do that or I could do this. And like all these possibilities come and all of a sudden you're in abundance and anything you do from that place of like, I can do this is going to have a far bigger impact in your life in a positive way. All right, people. Thanks for coming out. God bless. Good night. I mean, we could so drop the mic right there. That was so good. And it's so true, right? I talk all the time about the universal law of circulation and uh, law of circulation says abundance is expanding around us at an ever increasing rate. The only time abundance stops is when we do specific things. And the things that we would do to stop our abundance are all scarcity minded, right? So it could be as simple as I give you a compliment, Lisa, and I'm like, oh, that top is gorgeous. And you say, oh, this whole thing, I got it at Goodwill last week. You just (laughs) dismiss my compliment. You just operated it from a space of lack and scarcity and you just stopped abundance, right? Or you could be out having lunch or drinks or whatever, and you don't give a tip. Even if the service was bad, 
right? I tell people all the time, tipping is not about the person. It's about keeping the flow, making sure that your abundance is always circulating, that we don't do anything to stop it, right? Not charging what you know you should charge for your services. Yeah, that stops abundance. That's just, Anyone who is undercharging and underpricing their services is operating from a scarcity and a lack mindset. I hope you guys are taking notes on some of the clues that you're sitting in a seat of scarcity when you say you want to be taking your business to and beyond the million dollar mark. It ain't going to happen. Sorry for my, my broken English. I mean, I'm not really sorry for it, but it's not going to happen if you sit in the seat of scarcity. You have got to shift into the seat of significance in order to make and move millions. And significance looks like operating from a paradigm of abundance. And like Lisa just said, literally just asking yourself the question about how it becomes possible. Instead of being closed off, opening yourself up to any way. We used to do this exercise, Lisa, and we, we probably still do, but not as much. But we used to do this exercise on, on our sales calls. And when we were talking with a, a potential client, any potential client, whether they said they could afford it or not, we would play this game with them. And we would say, you know, we believe you can afford anything, anything that you decide to afford. So I want, let's just imagine right now that you needed to afford a thousand dollars. I want you to give me five different ways you could come up with a thousand dollars. And by the time we will get to the point where we would talk to them about the investment in the program, we'd stopped hearing the, I can't afford that response because we opened them up to what was possible for them and got them thinking from an abundance seat instead of a scarcity seat, which I think, you know, makes such a massive difference in the process. It's so good because I was going to say, I would think that anyone in business really comes up against this in their sales calls. And that's a great exercise. I love that you shared that with all of us. I can totally see the impact because you're expanding their ability to see the potential The other piece is, I'm curious if you also cover this in sales calls or in other conversations, is this action of receiving. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people have not calibrated their receiving. That's good. That's good. I don't think that I have consciously, I don't think that I've consciously talked about the calibrating of receiving in a sales conversation. Now for our clients who come and work with us, we definitely work on receiving because you're, you said it earlier, right? If you make a lot of money from a seat of scarcity, it's going to go away really quickly. And so we've got to open them up to this, this belief, this internal belief so that they see and believe like we see and believe that they deserve to have that, that they deserve to have months where they make more than they ever did in a year. They deserve to have days when they make more, right? I remember the first time I had a million dollar day in my business, (laughs) there was a point in time where I didn't think that that was possible. And I thought it had to take me a whole year to make a million dollars until it actually happened. But I had to be open to receiving that. And so that is definitely an exercise that we parlay into our clients, but we haven't done it in sales calls. And now you've got me wondering how I can do that. Like I made a new, I'm going to see how I can work that into the way that we do our sales process now in my company, because I think that that is so good. The way that I often have it come up, especially in the breakthrough work, is I always want to know, like, what's the most that you've made in a year? Mm-hmm. And it is fascinating because people, and I saw this in my, in my own experience, like 
you can go from job to job to job, different industries, and somehow you sort of get back to that number. Like it, there's a trend of what someone is comfortable with. And then anything beyond that is most likely the discomfort zone. And so being able to explore that idea that there's more space for you to receive bigger than you probably dream, just like I feel like you're doing all the time and what you're creating. But it's, it is fascinating because most people don't think of it that way. No, even earlier when you talked about money just being a tool, right? And, and looking at it that way, there's so many people who are making money more important. Yeah. Right? And because they're making it more important, it, it becomes, it feels like it becomes unattainable. Like you can never reach out and grab it because that's the carrot, right? Instead of sitting in this space of surrender and just knowledge and belief that it's always going to be there when you need it or always coming to you at the time that is the best for your highest good. For me, it started to take the pressure off of any level of performance by focusing on what I would be able to give versus focusing on what may or may not come in through just my effort. Yep, yep. I've heard of numerous stories. I just heard one, I went to a wedding this weekend and this gal that I was her nanny when I was 16 and now she's getting married. And um, she was, she's a really, really successful salesperson and she's on track to, I think, earning millions of dollars a year, if not, you know, through an IPO, just amazing stuff. And she was so excited to tell me that she had hit that that place of like 10% tithing. And she said, you know, I, I got it all together. I made the contribution. And wouldn't you know it, like a week later, the principals and the company called and they were giving her a 10% raise and a whole mess of mm. additional stock options. And she was like, this is exactly what I don't think I was expecting, right? She was, she's like, it's not, I didn't do it for that reason. Yeah. Like I did it because I've been wanting to give this money to the mm -hmm. church and, and it scared me, but I was like, nope, I'm doing it. And then immediately getting that reinforcement, she's like, oh, this is just going to get better. I have better. chills again. I love it. I love it when that happens just to show how it all works, right? I think about the scripture which is often misquoted and mis mispreached in Malachi that talks about opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out blessings you don't have room enough to receive. When we tithe, that is the promise that's coming back to us. And so for her to be able to see that immediate increase, it just, it proves that it does work to focus on the impact that you talked about earlier and operating around money from a space of love and not from a space of lack or scarcity, which just makes all the difference in the world. This, this conversation has been amazing and I don't want it to end. I really don't want it to end, but, but I want to give you the opportunity. If there's anything else you want to share specifically stories or anything outside of your book that you think would be really helpful for people who are going to listen to this episode on the podcast Anything else you want to share with them? Yeah, I think what's coming up for me is you and I have worked on ourselves a lot and we have paid our dues, I would say, over the course of, of our lives. And 
there may be people listening to this conversation and being like, well, that works for the two of you, but that's not what my life has been like yet. You know, I've struggled and it feels like it's getting harder and versus easier. And I just want to say, when I wrote The Mindful Millionaire, I was writing it for two audiences. One was like my parents, which they always had struggled with money. And unfortunately, while they were alive, I couldn't help them in the way that I can help other people now. And so I wrote the book for those who are like, it isn't working. I don't know what these blocks are. I don't know why I keep ending up in the same spot over and over again. And that was really my heart's call to like put a book together that could help you get out of your own way, learn some new strategies and get your feet strongly planted on the ground so that you could begin taking stronger steps. Mm-hmm. And I also have another audience of the book, which is folks like us, where we can see a tendency to make maybe sacrifices along the way to our success that we don't feel good about and that we we realize, you know, that there's a better way and that maybe we want more balance in our lives. We want the money, but we also want thriving relationships. We want to be healthy. We want to be good stewards of the world. Like it talks to both parts of ourselves, or if we feel really in different situations, it speaks to both of those. And so I just want to say there, you don't have to be a millionaire to read the mindful millionaire. In fact, most people aren't, and they read it because they're looking for opportunity Mm -hmm. to change their lives in a beneficial way. Yeah. I think that what I think that that is perfect. And what I would add to that is I feel like if you desire to become a millionaire, you need to read mindful millionaires. (laughs) Like you need that backdrop and to go through the process of looking at your life experience up to whichever point you are, when you want to make the decision that you want to make millions and have millions to be able to leave in legacy to other people, you need to do that very sometimes complicated, but definitely necessitated mindset, that inner work, that inner knowing and get your your spirit in balance with the recognition that you deserve and abundance is your birthright. And that no matter where you've been or what you've been through, that is not the legacy of your life. The legacy of your life is abundance. And that comes when you have access to millions, not just so that you can personally live better. I mean, the materialism, it gets old, right? I mean, yeah, buy the house, drive the car, get the shoes if you want. But then how can I impact the world? How can I change someone else's situation, right? And leverage what you earn and what you bring in to be able to create that kind of legacy. Like, I feel like that's the mindfulness of having access to millions. And if we could all, as we move to millions, for those of you who are still on the journey, or Lisa and I, as we continue to make millions, because the first million is definitely the hardest to make. It gets so much easier after that. It starts to roll in. <laughs> Believe us, it starts to roll in. But it all starts with what I always say, the six inches in between your ear, the mindfulness about who you are, the core of your spirit and your being and your come from in every situation. And you have a choice to show up as a victim and to live in lack and, and scarcity or to fo- or to show up as the victor and to live from a space of abundance. So Lisa, before I let you go, I have to ask you our closing questions. These conversations are almost never about business. 
even though I, I fancy myself the host of a business podcast, even though in my my category is spirituality. I know it's crazy. But I would just like to ask a couple questions that kind of grounds us. And it also gives our listeners a place to go to get additional support. I'm already recommending that they get a copy of Mindful Millionaire. But I would love to know, because I believe that when you read, you put yourself in a position to lead others. What's the last book you read? The last book I read, I've been reading Chakra Therapy. (laughs) I love it. Personal growth and healing. So a lot of the work I do is inspired by the chakras. And so that's, yep, there we go. And it's by Keith Sherwood. Okay, awesome. I love anything that's related to chakras. So I'm going to write that down. We can put that in the show notes so people will be able to find the book if you're interested. And then what would you say is a quote that you live by that has made a difference for you on your move to millions? I, Francis Frederick Buckner, where the world's greatest needs meet your greatest gifts. That's like the place of abundance. I'm totally butchering it, but that's the idea of the quote. Yeah, I I have it. I think I have it here. The place God calls you to is the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So again, we'll put that in the show notes for everyone. (laughs) And then is there a tool that you swear by that has been absolutely unequivocally essential on your own move to millions? Math, basic financial math. I love it. (laughs) I love it. You got to know how to count the millions, right? (laughs) You do. (laughs) I always need to see it backwards and forwards and make sure that it makes sense. Yes. This has been phenomenal. I know so many lives are going to be blessed by this conversation. They're going to go and grab your book. We'll put all of that information in the show notes so that they'll be able to access it. I just want to thank you so much for your time, for your attention, and for just blessing us with this powerful, powerful message and unlocking some of your story with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Did I tell you it was going to be good? Oh M-G. Lisa is my sister from another mister. And I hope you got as much value from that conversation as I did. I have so many notes. There were so many things. Did you guys love the part where we gave you some of the symptoms you're likely experiencing if you're trying to make decisions from a scarcity mindset instead of abundance mindset? One of them, this is one of my favorites, when the decision that you make is about the dollars and cents or when you don't solve the problem that you have because of the money. Y'all, I hope you got your whole entire life listening to Lisa and I talk about what it looks like to be a mindful millionaire. If you enjoyed our conversation and you want to connect directly with Lisa, be sure to check out the show notes for a link to her website and to grab a copy of her book. I'm telling you, you need this in your professional library. I 100% approve this book. It has been so transformational for me and I've done my mindset work. So I definitely don't want you to miss out on what is possible for you. And just as a reminder, if you are an service-based entrepreneur that is stuck at six figures and you would like some help transforming into the million-dollar CEO that you know you were created to be, go grab that Move to Millions Quick Start Guide. That URL for you again is movetomillionsguide.com move to millionsguide.com. I'll see you guys next time. Take care. Thank you for joining me for the Move to Millions podcast. The way I see it, you deserve a business that generates millions. 
If you're ready to get started, grab our Move to Millions Quick Start Guide and join our online community at movetomillionsgroup.com. If you enjoyed our time together, do yourself a favor, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time, remember, millions are your birthright. And to access them, all you have to do is move. I'll see you next time. Take care.